some of the students who are most impacted by the pandemic are the least likely to come in and participate in testing. So those results aren't necessarily going to show us the results for those particular students. What most teachers are telling us is that some students are, are really thriving in this environment and those who were struggling earlier are really struggling now. It has always been very hard, or at least the last half a decade to be very hard, to compare year-to-year -year testing. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. This April and May, students across both Missouri and Illinois will complete an annual rite of spring in a year that's had few of them they'll take standardized tests. The U.S. Department of Education has decreed that the testing needs to go on, even though many districts here and across the country have been virtual or hybrid through months of the pandemic. So what's driving this, and will students actually show up? Well, joining us today to explain more is Missouri's Education Commissioner. That's Margie Van Dieven. Margie, welcome. Glad to be here. And we're also joined today by St. Louis Public Radio education reporter Ryan Delaney. Ryan, welcome. Hey, Sarah. So, Ryan, uh, start us off by setting the stage for a normal year. How would school districts handle the federal testing requirement? Sure. Uh, usually that window opens in mid-March and runs to mid-May, uh, about a month or so that schools have to give tests. And every student from third grade through eighth grade takes uh, what here in Missouri is called the MAP test or the Missouri assessment. Um, and in younger grades, that's just in math and English. And then as they get older, it starts to include science and social studies. And then uh, high school kids take an end-of-course exam or uh, ACT um, and there's a few weeks usually where they might take a practice test uh, in class and then um, actually sit down for the, the test that matters, mm -hmm. so to speak. <laughs> so, Margie, the federal government waived these testing requirements last year in the first months of the pandemic. Were you surprised that they're insisting on testing this year? No, I really wasn't surprised for this year. We we were one of the first states to uh, to move in, in waiving those requirements last year. And I can tell you that after being at this for a year, it seems it's quite appropriate to get a real understanding of where our students are academically across the state as, as a whole. And I think the, the federal government felt the same way, that two years is a long time to go and heard from a lot of, if, if you'll remember, um, one of the big components of the Every, um, Every Student Seeds Act is to make sure every child counts. And so really trying to identify where each child is in the nation is a priority for the, for the federal government. So Margie, would you in Missouri have gone forward with this even if the feds weren't insisting on it? We were planning to. I, I will tell you, the State Board of Education had that discussion early on um, that we felt that it was a priority in Missouri. You know, it, we believe that education is the is a, the obligation of the state, and so the board took that um, discussion very seriously early on and said we think it's it's right thing to do. Uh, the governor made that proclamation in his State of the State address that he feels it's it's an important thing to do um, so that we understand where our children are and can better serve them in the future. So, Ryan, that's the perspective from Missouri's Education commis Commissioner. I understand not everybody feels this way. Have other jurisdictions tried to challenge this federal decree? They have. Um, well, I don't know if challenge is the right word. Uh, Illinois um, and a handful of other states uh, 
applied for waivers earlier in February, um, kind of before the federal education department came out last week and said that states do need to test. Um, So very likely those waivers will be rejected. Okay. We heard from some listeners with some thoughts on this. Stacy tweets, I taught for 13 years. Nobody looks forward to testing season because of the pressures involved. I can't even begin to imagine it now. It will cause undue stress. Parents and teachers are frustrated because this year has been chaotic enough as it is. Nobody needs this extra pressure. And Jeannie tweets, I don't want any of my child's instructional or social time being spent on test prep or the test themselves. Kids have lost months of in-class instruction. Teachers already know there are some gaps in learning, especially if these are post-mortem assessments. Why bother? Margie, I'd love to hear your response to that. Uh, sure. And I, I, I want you to also understand that I did everything we can to remove that pressure. The State Board of Education in those earliest conversations made it clear that we were removing accountability um, for for the state and the federal government did also waive the accountability component this year. So trying to eliminate the stress is really important. Um, We do value instructional time, would ask that we're not doing a lot of test prep uh, and that we're focusing on instruction of the students. This is just an opportunity to get information. So we've heard from a lot of parents who also want to know, particularly parents who have been taking part in educating students at home. They'd like to know where their children are. Um, We have, too, heard from teachers who who indicate that they know where their students are, but I will tell you that what we hear is quite different. So some some teachers feel that they're they're not seeing a huge change. Some are telling us they're seeing quite a bit of a decline. What most teachers are telling us is that some students are, are really thriving in this environment, and those who were struggling earlier are really struggling now. Mm-hmm. And so how deep is that divide? Um, how big is that gap? And then what do we do? I mean, that's the, the question for us is, is not to be punitive, not to put stress, but really come at this solution-oriented how do we assist in moving forward? And Margie, when you say you're removing the accountability portion, uh, what does that mean um, in practicality? So a lot of times these tests are used to make judgments about schools accreditation, for example. So we're, we're eliminating that component for mm-hmm. this year. Uh, a lot of times these tests are used for teacher evaluation. We're asking, this is a local control decision, but we're asking our schools to, to really not use them for those purposes. Um, a lot of times, you know, media outlets, so I'll talk to you and ask you about that. A lot of times they might use them to compare one school against another school. Uh, what we're asking for is, is give a, what, what we're trying to understand is, um, in, in particular, um, how did these various learning environments work for students? Mm-hmm. How did the digital divide impact student learning? What do we need to do as a state in moving forward? So we're collecting three times a year. How was, what was the primary instructional mode for our students? What kind of educational resources were available for them? So if it was primarily on-site instruction, that's one thing. If it was primarily um, a remote learning experience, what kind of uh, tools were available for them? And then let's come together, Missouri, and really solve this digital divide that we know is, is, is pretty deep in our state. Ryan, do you think there are districts that are sort of welcoming the ability to figure out, hey, here are the kids where they're not following what's going on? Uh, 
I have not had that conversation with school districts, although I think we're going to bring in a Parkway administrator in a few minutes. Um, St. Louis Public Schools Superintendent Kelvin Adams said a few weeks ago that their goal is to get every kid to take a test. Typically, the benchmark is to have 95% of a district's students take the test. Um, I believe that the federal government is planning to waive that requirement to get that many kids into a classroom to take the test this spring. Um, But I can say that I've spoken with a few um, education researchers some economists and people who really crunch this data um, outside of what Desi does and all their number crunching. Um, And they support giving the test this year. They know that the numbers aren't going to be as uh, exact as they have been in previous years because likely fewer kids will take it. But they also say that it is important to have some level of benchmark, to have some picture, even if it is not the complete picture that we would get in in normal springs, to to know about learning loss and, and, and... how students have grown and what they have learned in the last uh, now two years. We're talking to St. Louis Public Radio education reporter Ryan Delaney. Uh, Standardized testing is going forward. That'll be in the the next two months here. And we're also talking to Missouri's education commissioner. That's Margie Van Dieven. We have another guest here today, as Ryan mentioned, uh, who's going to help us understand how this will play out in his district. Kevin Beckner is the assistant superintendent for Parkway Schools. Kevin, welcome. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. So, Kevin, get us up to speed on the reality on the ground in your district. What percentage of Parkway students are entirely virtual at this point? We have about a third of our students who continue to learn virtually, and of course that's different. We're a large district with many schools, so some schools might have 15% of students learning virtually, while others, uh, we have one school that's over 60% of students who've chosen a virtual environment right now. But overall, that total is about a third of our students. And do you think these virtual students are going to be willing to come on site? They're obviously shielding themselves from the virus. Will they come on site for this testing? Yeah, that's one of our biggest challenges and certainly one thing that we're working hard at right now. Um, We have started the process of engaging our high school students around end of course exams and coming into our schools for those since there is not a remote option. What we're seeing is that overall about 50% of our students are are willing to come in. Um, Many of our students and families aren't responding even to the request when we say, really, we need you to come in. Those who do respond, about 70% of families are saying, yes, we'll come into your building. Again, that's just at the high school level, um, and mm-hmm. we're engaging our elementary families right now. But that certainly is one of our biggest concerns. As Dr. Van Dieven shared, we want to identify the effects of the pandemic. And one of the biggest challenges we have is some of the students who are most impacted by the pandemic are the least likely to come in and participate in testing. So those results aren't necessarily going to show us the results for those particular students. And Kevin, you said they aren't, some of these families aren't even responding. Um, Do you have any recourse if a student just, you know, they don't even write in to say, no, I don't want to come in. They just are flat out ignoring you. Certainly some are. Uh, We know many of our families do want, um, they want to know how their child is doing, and that's why I think we see a large number who are responding say we'll come into our buildings. Mm -hmm. Um, As Dr. Van Dieven said, we want to reduce the stress, we want to reduce the pressure, we want to make this an environment where students really can show us what they know so that we can get a good read on that. So all of the accountability has been removed, not only at the school and federal level, but even at the student level. In a typical year, those exams at the high school level count for a certain percentage of a student's grade, and we have removed that this year, trying to just promote that this is 
This is an opportunity for you to show us how well you're doing so that we can help future students and make sure that we're doing the best job we can. Mm-hmm. I want to go to the phone lines. Matt is calling from St. Louis. Uh, Matt, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi, uh, a couple questions. First, are the tests going to be required in person? And the follow-up to that would be, how would you guarantee safety of these kids and the families that they'll be going back to because mm-hmm. they're not even eligible for, for vaccines yet. Man, I think those are a couple great questions. Um, I'm going to direct that to Kevin because I'm curious how Parkway is going to handle that. And then Margie, I'd also love to discuss that in the bigger picture. But, but Kevin, if you can take that on first, are you requiring people to come in in person for these tests? Uh, We certainly are asking them to come in person, but like I mentioned before, if a student is learning virtually and they say we have health and safety concerns, um, we're not going to come in, they won't be penalized in that sense, but we are are making the effort to do so. But but, uh, Kevin, sorry, just to make sure I understand, would they then take the test virtually or they just would not be participating in the test? They would not be participating. We actually okay. in Missouri don't currently have a virtual option for standardized testing available to us. So, and at the local level, so in Parkway and in many districts across our region, we do a lot of testing virtually um, and have been throughout the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the state level, that is not an option available. So if a student says, I'm not coming in, then they would just not be participating. Okay. And then for students who, who are coming in for this and they've been staying virtual this whole time, what kind of safety precautions uh, will you guys have in place to, to keep them from getting infected? Sure. Currently, our students are are learning in person in our schools. So many of the same safety precautions that are in place for students who are coming in for learning on a daily basis will also be in place for students who are participating in testing. That means we're using some of our larger spaces for testing. We're spreading out those desks as far as we can. Students are universal masking is required, Um, you know, breaks for hand washing, hygiene, all those sorts of pieces are what we would have in place. Mm-hmm. Margie, I'd love to hear you speak to the bigger picture. First, this idea that there's not um, there's not a way to test kids from home. They do have to come in for this. Is this just a technological hurdle here? Yeah, part of it's technology. A lot of it is the standardization of that, the proctoring that's involved. That's a that's a pretty complex issue when you're going to proctor an online exam, and we're just we just do not have that in place at this time in a standard in a standard way. Um, so, you know, I think one of the big things to point out is that uh, this testing window is is relatively extended. So, it's just starting in March. Um, it's it's scheduled to close at the very very end of May. We have the option of extending that window if necessary. The federal government has even made some allowances to assess in the fall. Right now, I'm not sure there's a huge appetite to do that in the fall, but it's it's certainly a, a potential option um, so that families do feel um, ready to come back to school. I think our job right now is to continue to, to discuss what a great job many of our school districts have done. We're at least 95% of our districts are offering some form of in-person instruction mm-hmm. with great success. They're, they're implementing the mitigation strategies that are in place uh, that, you know, we, we talk about social distancing, proper hygiene, cleaning between test administrations. They're doing all sorts of things um, to keep our kids safe. And what we're seeing and the evidence in Missouri, but also the CDC has indicated and studies are showing that there is very, very little in-school transmission. Uh, so just, again, want to congratulate our schools on the good work that they are doing and keeping our schools among the safest places and, and really hoping for a safe return. For as I, I expect all schools will be open um, by the end of May when, when that window is, is scheduled to, to close. Um, again, I think our biggest 
challenge now is, is to really help our families understand and feel safe in sending their kids back to our schools. Hmm. Now, um, I, I uh, read some tweets earlier from some parents who were not happy about this. We also heard from some people who think this is a good idea. Uh, Justin in St. Charles says, uh, quote, standardized tests have never been the perfect solution to student assessments, but we should absolutely do it this year. It will signal to parents and schools the importance of teaching in the classroom. I'm thankful our kids have been in the classroom all year. Mary writes on Facebook, I welcome any standardized testing. I need something to show my teen's lack of progress due to school neglect to provide math lessons last spring. This is the only way to hold schools accountable. Mary continues, I want our district to finally offer summer help to close the achievement gap. We are the worst district in the region for the achievement gap for black students with an individualized education program, or IEP. My teen has been a virtual student all year. I am nervous about my teen going on campus at all, so it will be a difficult decision. But overall, Mary supports this. Ryan, are you hearing from parents who feel that way? Yeah, and, and you read a couple other, um, like, like you said, a few tweets at the, the top of the segment. Um, you know, I've also talked to um, an anthropologist who has looked at the impact of some high-stakes testing on, on kids. And, you know, there is the fact that we have about two dozen districts and charter schools in the state that are still completely virtual. Some kids won't get back into the classroom until March or April. Um, and for some of these kids, it might be their first day or their first week coming into a, a, a classroom, and, and now they're expecting expected to sit down and take a test. And, you know, as somebody put it to me, like, we're not going to be testing, testing, we're going to be testing the anxiety of their first day back. Um, there's also the mm-hmm. logistical hurdle. Um, you know, we know in Parkway, there's about a third of kids who are still learning virtually. That's 60% in St. Louis public schools. Um, so that's a, a large district that's going to have to scale up busing and, and food services and, and adult supervision for giving out the tests. Um, for kids who have, you know, if they can convince enough kids to come into the building. Um, <laughs> and one other point, and, and we can dive into this more, but I, I expect, and a lot of people expect, there's going to be a higher opt-out rate. Um, Kevin mentioned that uh, uh, there, there's parents who are not responding. Um, the Commissioner of Education in New York City actually basically encouraged parents to opt out of taking the test this year, which will be interesting. Um, Ohio hmm. gave some standardized tests in the fall, and only about 80% of kids came in. And the, the, the challenge there is going to be of whether or not um, those kids who don't take the test are the ones who are the most vulnerable um, because we saw that with some other data that started to come out in in the fall when we got our first look at the the learning loss of the pandemic. Um, Some of the data showed that it was not as steep of a loss as was worried, but then we peeled back the onion a layer and realized that it was a lot of the most vulnerable kids, high poverty, minority kids who didn't take those tests because um, they didn't show up to take them. Hmm. So I understand these test results, they typically get released in late summer and early fall. Kevin, if they show a significant COVID-19 slide for some of these students, how might it impact how teachers approach the next semester? Well, we're always looking at all of our results to see what can we do to improve? How can we make sure that we're ensuring the highest level of learning for every student? I think our concern in particular with this test, knowing that we're not going to have all of our students able to participate due to health and safety concerns, is we want to be very cautious about using these results with everything else we're seeing about student learning, um, in particular because we know not only Um, Do we see some schools with higher levels of virtual participation than others? We also know across the board, um, we are seeing disproportionate um, 
numbers when it comes to the types of students who are choosing virtual, in specific in Parkway, we're seeing much higher rates of students who identify as Asian, who identify as African American, who identify as multiracial or Hispanic, choosing a virtual setting. Hmm. And if we miss a large number of those students with testing, then we need to be careful about drawing significant conclusions from that data, because really it's not going to be at that point in a fully accurate assessment of all of our students. So we really need to look at all the data we have to be able to draw those conclusions and then act on them to best support kids in their learning. Margie, Kevin makes a really good point there. Are you worried that what has happened in the in the past year through, uh, you know, no fault of your own, this is just going to skew the data and make it unusable in, in some ways for years to come? This year is just such an anomaly. No, I mean, I think he makes a great point as well. And I'm, I'm not worried that it's going to be unusable. I do think it's something that we need to be very cautious about making comparisons to prior years to be looking at it uh, as more than one data point that it is. I think Ryan's point about the onion and peeling the onion back is really powerful. So, you know, what Kevin shares is very, very insightful. Who is who is not coming in to take the test? And then you peel that layer back and say, why? And what do we need to do to to um, better communicate with, with those families, the, the need or, or the desire to have our kids back in school? I mean, I, I think every little point that we get will help us get a better understanding of the impact of this COVID-19. So um, I, we plan to use the data and a number of factors. I, I think the other piece that we need to be very clear about is I do believe that a number of our districts know um, a lot about their own students, but this will give us a broader statewide perspective, again, mm-hmm. on what do we need to do? We're getting significant funding, um, CARES dollars. Where do we need to invest? This is about assisting. This is about recovery. And um, I, I think it's going to give us some good information. Not the, not per- Perfect. Absolutely. And I, as your earlier caller suggested, or maybe it was an email, suggested, um, you know, standardized testing have never been the perfect answer for anything, um, but they're what we have right now. And moving forward, we've committed to really looking at what should we be measuring and how should we be doing that as a state. Kevin, do you get the sense that teachers are concerned that low test scores could reflect poorly on them, even when, you know, this is so out of their hands this year? We're so appreciative of Dr. Van Dieven, her department, her team, as she indicated, taking away the accountability pieces. So I don't think people are worried necessarily on that side. Mm-hmm. But we know that the public looks at this information and draws conclusions and inferences about our schools and our districts. So I think that's more our concern is the, the public perception. And as uh, Dr. Van Dieven noted, and we really want to be careful about using this data in comparison to other years. So as we use it, we want to really be focused on what can this tell us, how accurate is this information, and how can we use it to help students? So I don't think it's necessarily that teachers are stressed about personally being judged, but just how the public might perceive our schools and our performance and where we are. I think that that's more the concern. So Ryan, you're an education reporter. How the public perceives this um, in many ways is shaped by people like you and, and how they report it. Do you think there is an understanding and appreciation of, of those who cover the schools? Like, yeah, this cannot be treated like a normal year. <laughs> you're putting a lot of pressure on me, Sarah. It's all on you, yeah. Ryan. Can you um, do this for our state? <laughs> well, look, I um, the Commissioner might not love um, my take on on 
the annual performance reports and, and map testing data that myself and my colleague in Kansas City have taken in the last few years. But the, the reality is, and some of this is just out of um, the State Department's hands, but the test has changed already so much in the last five to six years, um, just with all of the federal changes around Common Core and everything else, that it has always been very hard or at least the last half a decade to be very hard to compare year-to-year testing and knowing the lag time of getting results back from when the kids take it. It's always been very difficult to do that. Um, And it is something that I have talked about in my reporting before is that it is you can't just look at this number and say one specific thing. It's got to be taken with a lot of grains of salt. Mm-hmm. And and it's unfortunate that the state was just starting to get into what felt like a groove of having a test that they had designed that was going to be given year in and year out. And then the pandemic happened last year, and now we've got the situation we're in now. So it's just going to take a little longer until we really, I think, have a full data set that um, would make some of the research that I talked to really um ooze with excitement to dive deep into it. <laughs> ooze with excitement. Margie, Only a researcher can. <laughs> Margie, in our last minute here, um, there is some anxiety about all this. Um, what is the thing you would want people to keep in mind as we head into testing season? Yeah, I, I think the big thing to keep in mind is that this is for informational purposes. I don't know if any industry, any group out there that's not trying to collect data to understand the impact of COVID. Um, I am so grateful to our teachers and to our school leaders out there who have been serving our, our children, to our families who have been working so hard to take care of their children. Um, we are going to get through this, and this is just one data point that will help us better serve um, our students in the future. So thank you for the opportunity to talk today and I appreciate it very much. Well, thank you for that perspective. Uh, Margie Van Dieven, that's a Missouri Education Commissioner. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And St. Louis Public Radio Education Reporter Ryan Delaney, thank you as well. Always a pleasure. And Kevin Beckner, Assistant Superintendent for Parkway Schools. Good luck as you guys dive into all this. I do not envy your job. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.